Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Most of us struggle with self-examination. Self-examination. Here's one example. Celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay seems to have about 20 shows on TV at any given time, right? Um, And uh, one show is called Kitchen Nightmares. How many of you have seen, have you ever seen an episode of Kitchen Nightmares? Yeah. it features Ramsey um, going around to different restaurants that are living nightmares. And uh, the restaurants typically are on the verge of closing and in, in desperate need of help. Uh, and what's interesting is that sometimes the restaurants look, I mean, they look really appealing from the outside and often large amounts of money and time have been spent Uh, finding just the right location, creating a welcoming atmosphere for this place. But in every episode, the real problem is the same. The food is just downright nasty. And um, what what makes the show painfully uh, entertaining is how Ramsey tries over and over to get the restaurant owners to realize that they are in a oh-no situation. Um, I mean, what, what they need is some brutal honesty. Well, nobody brings brutality quite like Gordon Ramsay does, right? And um, he'll, he'll usually order about a half a dozen um, items off of the menu and with great passion and, and clarity. Uh, he'll explain how horrible each one of these entrees tastes. And uh, the restaurant owners are, are in denial about the quality of their food because, you know, they're distracted managing food orders, overseeing wait staff, shaking hands with customers, so forth. Basically anything but actually making good food. There, there's just no self-evaluation. There's no self-examination. And the, the story or the show is half over before any of them get honest about the reality of their food. Well, today we come to the end of our study on 2 Corinthians. And the old saying that the best way to learn is to teach um, has certainly been true for me. Um, It's been my privilege to explore both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in their entirety since 2020, two years ago and then present these messages to you. And and together, have you ever realized that Paul's two letters to to the church at Corinth um, make up a large chunk of the entire New Testament? And so um, it's important for any follower of Jesus to spend a lot of time in these two letters, understanding what's going on and what the point is and so forth. I I presented a total of 32 messages on those two letters because they're that long. 1 Corinthians 16 chapters, 2 Corinthians 13 chapters. 
and I've, I've learned so much. So I want to I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to learn and to grow along with you. And, you know, for me, the overarching uh, theme, the mega theme of Second Corinthians is this whole concept of being cruciform, cruciform. And that simply means to be cross-shaped, right? And, and objects can be cruciform, like, like a piece of jewelry, or, you know, can even be a church building, like those that were erected back in, in the Middle Ages. But a person's life can be cruciform also. And when we say that someone's life is cruciform, it simply means that that we recognize the impact and the influence of Jesus and how that person lives their life, how they treat other people, uh, what they value, what they prioritize. They they are cross-shaped. So in just a moment, we're we're going to read the final portion of 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul was preparing to visit this church for the third time. And his relationship with these Christians in Corinth, I mean, we've talked about this often. I mean, it was very conflicted. And uh, even though he was their spiritual father, he had founded the church. I mean, their relationship with Paul was not good. And on several occasions in this letter, he had exhorted them to grow spiritually and, and rid their congregation of blatant sin as well as wrong beliefs. And he so wanted them to go ahead and do this before he arrived this third time because he did not want to have to be this spiritual heavy when he visited them. Um, and he knew that the church, with all of its factions, its sinful lifestyles, the fondness that they had for what was inauthentic spiritually, it was never, they were never going to make a godly impact on, on uh, sin-riddled Corinth unless they got that stuff straightened out. And so if necessary, yes, he would clean house when he arrived. If they didn't, but he so wanted his visit to be marked by joy instead of sorrow and, and by wonderful fellowship with one another instead of painful discipline. Um, you know, th- one of the questions is, did, did things ever get worked out between Paul and the Corinthians? Um, did, did they take his godly advice? Did they do the things he asked them to do? Uh, was the relationship between the great apostle and, and the church he started and the people he loved there, was it restored? Uh, w- w- were they reconciled? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us clearly. There, there is a, a little promising hint over in Acts chapter 20, which tells us that Paul spent three months in Corinth um, after this letter was written, which points, suggests the likelihood that, that reconciliation and restoration did happen between Paul and this church. So let's read now what Paul had to say to the Corinthians as he closed this letter. So I'd like you to turn with me in your Bible then to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and we've already looked at verses 1 through 4, so I'm going to pick up reading in verse 5 of that chapter and read through the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or chapter 13 rather, verse 5, and you follow along in your Bible. Here we go. Examine yourselves 
to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now, we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So, as Paul finishes this letter, he wanted the, the Corinthian Christians to examine themselves spiritually. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Huh. Was their faith in Jesus real? Was it genuine? Was it authentic? Was it the same faith that Paul had preached when he first arrived in Corinth years ago and they had so gladly received it? And, and so the implication for you and for me is clear. If we want our lives today, some 20 centuries later, to be truly cruciform, to be cross-shaped, then knowing the value of and practicing Self-examination is important. And as I reflected on these verses, three questions and their answers came to mind. Here's the first question. Why does self-examination matter? Why should we do it? And the first answer to that question is more than obvious, isn't it? I'm prone to self-deception because I'm sinful. We all are. And our capacity for self-deception is pretty strong. For example, for example, when you work out, you know, get some exercise, do you consider it to be a tough workout? Um, new research might poke holes in your exercise pride. <laughs> uh, it suggests that both men and women tend to overestimate how intensely they work out. Our researchers asked 129 participants to walk or jog on a treadmill at speeds that they felt were light or moderate, vigorous. And even after researchers described what counted as light and moderate and vigorous, um, people tended to um, overrate their exercise level. Fancy that. For example, people believed that they were performing vigorous physical activity at levels that wouldn't be considered vigorous at all by any national standard. Um, that's defined as raising your heart rate between 77 and 93% of its max, and most people in the study didn't even get up to 75%. So here's the thing. If, if we tend to overestimate how much exercise we're getting, 
I can guarantee you that we do the same thing spiritually. We, we tend to overestimate our goodness and underestimate how we fall short of God's standards. Earlier in this letter, Paul wrote this, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. In another letter, Paul put it this way, sin took advantage of those commands, talking about the Old Testament law, sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. Now, someone might say, well, yeah, but that's before you become a Christian. You know, once you get born again, you start following Jesus. Um, you know, you don't, you're not deceived by sin anymore. Boy, I wish that was true. Um, but it's not. Because we still have this robust sinful nature after being born again, self-deception self is an ongoing problem for every follower of Jesus. Why else would Paul say to those who were already Christians right there in Corinth repeatedly, do not deceive yourselves, don't fool yourselves, if we, if we had the time today, we could look at many other passages in the New Testament that warn us against essentially self-deception. And one of our ongoing challenges right up until that moment when Jesus takes us home to heaven is not to get deceived by our own sinfulness. It's a perpetual danger, a constant threat to following Jesus well, self-deception. And it, it occurs to me, folks, that right here in passing, there is yet another reason to be an active, vital, participating part of a local church like ours. You probably know there are millions of people out there in our country who call themselves Christians, consider themselves Christians, but they see no value in a local church like ours. And here's the thing, folks, they all but guarantee their own self-deception. Well, why is that? Because God did not design any of us to follow Jesus alone. We need relationships to follow Jesus well. And, and following Jesus faithfully and well demands relationships with other people who are following Jesus. Listen to me, listen to me. The more isolated we are, the more we invite self-deception. The more isolated we are, the more we invite self-deception. And at the risk of, you know, hurting feelings here, let me just say, do not let the pandemic become an excuse to become isolated. Because when you and I get isolated, Satan will beat the tar out of us. And I want to I thank the Lord for Zoom. I want to thank the Lord for live stream. Give that live stream team a, a hand back there. Thank you, guys. You have, you have kept us connected through all this... Uh, deal the last two years. So thank you. But folks, don't, don't let all the technology give you an excuse to just stay away and not get involved, not, not plug in. If you get isolated, Satan will beat the tar out of you. He will. He will. He'll do it. 
And the more alone and solitary we are in our faith, the more our own sin can blind and deceive us. And that's precisely why the Bible says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together. You mean people were not coming to church in the first century? Yes. (laughs) As some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Why does self-examination matter? Well, here's a second answer to that question that is suggested in our text today. I'm quick, you're quick to evaluate others rather than ourselves. Um, And Paul subtly suggested here that instead of examining and evaluating his credentials as an apostle, the Corinthians' time and effort could be much better spent examining and evaluating on how well they were following Jesus. He says, "As, as you test yourselves, I hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. And just again, remember that a very big issue there in Corinth was the fact that these false teachers uh, had come to the church after Paul left who were doing everything possible to destroy his impact and influence among the Christians in that city. And and they, they deemed Paul subpar and lacking in everything. Remember, he didn't look like a leader. He lacked personal charisma. His preaching and teaching was dull. His ministry results didn't look very successful. He was lacking visions. And and he was even content, Paul was, to be just a poor laborer, working with his hands as a tent maker when he could have received financial support from the church. And so, man, they just wanted to, to demote Paul and have nothing to do with it. So what's, what's, the, what's the takeaway for you and me there? Part, part of the way that sin continues to deceive us is to encourage us to focus on the spirituality of other people rather than ourselves. And so we spend a lot of time and effort examining and evaluating how well other people are following Jesus rather than examining and evaluating ourselves. And the result is that we just end up um, measuring ourselves against other people rather than against God's standards. Dumb, 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 but we're all tempted to do it. One Christian leader from the 10th century made this great observation, they who are conscious of their own sins have no eyes for the sins of their neighbors. Hmm. They who are conscious of their own sins have no eyes for the sins of their neighbors. The alternative is to give ourselves a bit of a shake and say instead, you know, at at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I'm more or less spiritual than so-and-so. What matters is if I'm following Jesus as faithfully and as well as I could. And in order to find that out, Maybe, maybe I should examine myself rather than others and evaluate myself rather than others, indeed. Well, here's a second question to ask and try and answer. What, what needs to be examined? We're supposed to do, okay, so we're supposed to do self-examination, but what, what do we need to examine? 
Well, I can think of at least two answers to that question suggested in Paul's letter um, to the Corinthians, as well as what he wrote um, to his other churches. First of all, my beliefs need to match God's truth. My beliefs need to match God's truth. And, you know, that was, that was one problem there in Corinth, big problem. Uh, these false teachers had, had arrived spouting Christianese all over the place and convincing many of the Corinthians that everything Paul uh, said and taught was, you know, well, convincing, no, not, not Paul, but that what they said was straight out of heaven. But when you read between the lines in both of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, it's clear that those guys, those false teachers, were preaching a very different message than the one Paul had presented. What we, folks, what we actually believe matters. What we actually believe matters. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm routinely dismayed by surveys of what American Christians say they believe. What do you mean? Well, one example, a few years ago, Lifeway Research in association with Ligani or Ministries did a survey among evangelical Christians. And, you know, that's our tribe here at KRBC. We're, we're evangelical Christians, right? Uh, how do you define that? Well, they, for this study, they used four criteria. Evangelicals believe that the Bible is the highest authority. Evangelism is very important. Sin can only be removed by Jesus' death. Salvation comes only through trusting in Jesus as Savior. Okay, fair enough. All right. So here, here's what I found alarming. 74% of evangelicals agreed with the statement, individuals must contribute to their own salvation. Wow. 71% agree that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 56% said amen when asked to affirm the Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. 48% were fine with the statement that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 42% had no problem with this belief. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a way to replace church. And 39% of evangelicals agreed, my good deeds help me to earn my place in heaven. If you believe that, you just lost the gospel. And each of those beliefs is profoundly unbiblical. And none of them represent the Christian faith accurately. And so self-examination gives us the opportunity to evaluate what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And as we grow in our faith, self-examination means it means getting rid of some beliefs. It means adjusting other beliefs. It means adopting some new ones. Self-examination gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to move us closer to God's truth. Yeah. Well, what else needs to be examined? Well, secondly, my life needs to reflect God's standards. That was the other part of the problem here at Corinth. Remember, remember Paul had to, he had to uh, call them out on some very specific lifestyle issues going on there in Corinth. 
Um, I mean, so, some of these new believers in Corinth were stubbornly holding on to sexual immorality in one form or another. And so Paul had to write, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Okay? Uh, others wanted to continue to access the feasts at temples that were built to honor false gods because it was such an integral part of the culture there in Corinth to go to these pagan feasts. But to do so, Paul said, was to get involved in idolatry, whether you meant to or not. And so that's why he wrote, so dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. And then there were, there were these church potlucks. Yeah, they had those back then. There were these church potlucks where communion was observed. But the rich Christians were hoarding their food and embarrassing poor believers. And so Paul had to write, what? Don't, don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? So when Paul said, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine, he meant he meant the whole Jesus way uh, of life when he spoke about your faith. Our faith, yes, it includes our doctrines and beliefs, very important, but it addresses our lifestyle just as much, if not more. Our morals, our conduct, how we treat other people like other believers, like people who are far from God, like the poor, like people from a different ethnicity than we are, like refugees and immigrants, how we handle money, how we use words, what we value, what we prioritize. The, the way that we live out our everyday lives is what matters most when it comes to determining whether our claims to be followers of Jesus is authentic. You see, most, most non-Christians can't or they won't or they're not interested in evaluating the authenticity of your faith just on knowing what you believe. They don't care what you believe. That doesn't matter to them. Having your doctrine right means nothing to a non-Christian. But the way that we live out our everyday lives, oh, that speaks volumes to them. And it's on that basis that they think that we're authentic or we're hypocrites. And so some good old-fashioned self-examination will move us in the right direction. No, of, of course, we're, we're never going to fulfill all of God's standards perfectly this side of heaven. But are we growing? I mean, are, are we reflecting them? Are they increasingly becoming more visible in, in my life? Can, can other people see it? Am I at least making some progress and, and moving in the right direction? And, and self-examination can reveal that, that truth. So here's a related question. When can I examine myself? How do I examine myself? And, folks, it can literally happen at any time and anywhere. Uh, I think, though, that maybe the most appropriate place or venue is when we're in an attitude of prayer. Um, an example of that is found in the Old Testament. And, and Ashby read this at the beginning of the service, and I got it in my notes, too. Great minds think alike. Right, Ashby? Yeah. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. If that's not self-examination, I don't know what is. And um, you can pray that prayer or something like that. Well, you can do it in a worship service, sure. You, you can do it in a personal devotional time uh, in your home. Why, you can even do it just riding around in your car. Okay, it can happen anywhere. Self-examination starts when we are quiet in God's presence. We invite him through the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and reveal anything there that offends so here's a, here's a third question to ask and try to answer. How can self-examination really be successful? How can it be successful? I mean, you see, someone could argue, look, if, if authentic self-examination is impossible ultimately, isn't it? I mean, if, if we're sinful, if we're subject to self-deception, how can we ever be confident that we're examining ourselves uh, in, uh, correctly, that it's going to lead to some kind of good result. And, and I think our passage today hints at two good answers to that question. First, let's remember that God wants to build me up, not tear me down. And Paul wrote here, he said, for I want to use the authority the Lord has given me to do what? To strengthen you, not to tear you down. And that was, you see, that was Paul's attitude toward the Corinthians despite all of their conflicts with each other. And you can be sure that that's God's attitude toward you and me all day and every day. Folks, God wants us to succeed spiritually, not to fail. He's not about discouraging you to become more like Jesus, but encouraging you at every step along life's journey. Uh, the Bible says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? He wants you to be successful in following Jesus far more than you want to be successful in following Jesus. How can self-examination be successful? Well, there's an even greater and a more compelling answer. Remember that Jesus indwells you and me through the Holy Spirit. Don't overlook what Paul wrote here, there in verse 5. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. You see, ultimately, the ability to examine or to test ourselves accurately isn't based on you or me at all. Instead, it's based on the fact that Jesus himself lives within your spirit. And my spirit. Ultimately, that, that's what makes you a Christian. It's an authentic, genuine, real follower of Jesus is someone who has Jesus living in him or her. It's, it's not your doctrine or your beliefs. It's not even a godly lifestyle. The real test is the presence of Jesus in your life and in my life. That's what makes you a Christian. The Bible says the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Again, God's word declares, and this is the secret, Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. And, you know, those are, those are some good self-examination questions to ask ourselves from time to time, by the way. I mean, we can ask, Lord, Jesus, are you, are you truly in me? Lord, what proof is there of you living your life through me? 
And you see, if, if Jesus doesn't indwell us, then yes, authentic and accurate self-examination is going to be difficult. Well, it's not going to be difficult, it's going to be impossible. Because it's Jesus who provides the enlightenment, the discernment, the correction we need when we come before him sincerely. And he knows how to do it well. He knows how to call a spade a spade in love. <laughs> you notice that? Uh, you see, Jesus is not into either rationalization or condemnation. What, what do I mean by that? Well, you see, on the one hand, he can make sure that we're not looking at ourselves through rose-colored glasses because we have a tendency to rationalize and excuse ourselves. But on the other hand, Jesus can convict us without condemning us. Remember, God is all about, he's all about building us up. He's not about tearing us down. And so Paul concluded this great letter with the assurance that because God loves us, any and all self-examination will yield godly results as long as the Holy Spirit's the one behind it. That's how Paul ended this letter, by the way. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's a reference to the Trinity right there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it all begins when we receive the grace that comes through Jesus. And a wonderful result of knowing Jesus' grace is the revelation of how much our Father in heaven loves us. And then the ultimate result of Jesus' grace and the Father's love is the fellowship that we experience with the Holy Spirit. How many of you watch the Olympics? A few of you. Some of you maybe didn't even know the Olympics were on. <laughs> well, um, they finished up now. They've already had closing ceremonies because they're 13 hours ahead of us over there in China. But this is, this is a story about the Summer Olympics. One of the events is um, bicycle racing in the Olympics. And um, one national team, the team for Great Britain, was hopeless and had been hopeless for decades. Um, in fact, um, since 1908, 1908, Great Britain had only gotten one gold medal in any kind of an Olympic bike race. And the team was so abysmally bad that um, one of the European manufacturers of bicycles would not sell their equipment to the British team because they were afraid that other professionals would look in and say, well, look at the results the British team has had. We're not buying their stuff. That's pretty bad. Well, that all changed in 2003 when British Racing uh, hired this man, Dave Brailsford. And... Um, he came in with, a, with an interesting approach to improving uh, the British racing team. Wasn't necessarily grand. His, his, his philosophy was, look, folks, there are, there's a hundred things that go into uh, bike riding and bike racing. And if we can just identify how to improve 
as many of those individual little pieces by just 1%, just, just a little bit of improvement. If we can just do a little bit of improvement, we're going to get better results. And so Brailsford and his team, they, they broke down bi bicycle racing into all the different components you could possibly imagine. And they began to make small little incremental 1% improvements. Like what? Well, they, they figured out how to make the, the bicycle seat a little bit more comfortable. I say amen to that. You ever been on those bikes? <laughs> Whew, my, my goodness. Anything to make that more comfortable would be an improvement. Anyway, they did that. They, they, they rubbed alcohol on the tires so that, because apparently that improves the grip of these, these bikes when they're going around on the, on, on the track. They, they figured out how to, how to make the, the suits, the outfit that they, that they wear, um, a little bit more aerodynamic. And just methodically, they figured out how to improve all these different components of bike racing by just 1%, just a little bit. Well, the results have been astounding. Five years later, in 2008, um, Great Britain, this, this, these were the Summer Olympics in Beijing, also 2008. Um, the British team um, won 60% of all the gold medals offered in bike racing. 60%. Four years later, at the London Olympics, 2012, the, the, the British cycling team set nine Olympic records and seven world records. Wow. So what's the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. Sometimes, sometimes God does want us to make these tremendous changes in our lives. Sometimes, but you know, most of the time, he's asking for some small incremental one percent changes because he knows how he knows how we're built. He knows that we can't handle too many total life changes very well, and so he comes to us through his Holy Spirit and he encourages us in this area and in this area and in this area of our lives to make those little incremental one percent changes. And when you start putting all of those changes together, then becoming like Jesus becomes a reality. And people see growth and they see development in our lives. They, they see the shape of Jesus' cross in our lives because we're making those changes. So let me ask you one last time as we close this series. Are you cruciform? Are you cruciform? Do you have a cross-shaped life? If you do, you understand the value and you make time and you make the effort to go through self-examination through the Holy Spirit. And remember, folks, he's not there to condemn you. He's not there to discourage you. God wants you to become more like Jesus than you want to become more like Jesus. So he's there to encourage you and enable you to become more like him. And remember, 
that it's Jesus Christ living in you and me that makes those incremental changes possible. Remember what Paul said, and this is the secret. Christ lives in you. That's the guarantee that those changes can be made through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for these these two marvelous letters in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and all that they have to teach us about what it means to be cruciform, what it means to to truly have a cross-shaped life. And Father, we've learned today about the importance of self-examination, not not just all by ourselves, but with the aid of your Holy Spirit, with Jesus living within us. And so, Father, we pray that you will help us to, to grow in the practice of and understand more and more the value of bringing ourselves into your presence and saying, Lord, search me, search me, search me. Is there anything in my life that offends you? I lay it before you, Lord. Please make those changes in my life. Help us to understand the value of doing that and then living out what you show us. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K A R L roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.